0: Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. As you're turning there, let me remind you this Sunday is an incredibly important Sunday in the life of First Baptist Church of West Memphis. Uh, This Sunday evening at 5 p.m., well, first of all, small group and morning worship service are always incredibly important for us. Our Sunday school is going to be just a, a, I know it's going to be a blessing this Sunday. Make sure that you are here this Sunday. Uh, for our morning worship services, but Sunday evening at 5 p.m., I'm asking you to meet me in the sanctuary as uh, we relate to you what is the the, uh, work, uh, what is the end product of all the work that's been going on uh, through me, through the leadership of the church, our deacons, our building committee over the last... Uh, 15, 16 months, and really it's been a process that's been much longer than that. And so I want to encourage you to show up, uh, listen carefully, ask questions, and we're not going to do any voting this Sunday, but we're going to spend some time in prayer as a church and then move forward as God uh, as God gives direction to his church. I'm so thankful that as a Baptist church, you're not looking at the guy who calls the shots, Right? You know that, right? People who've known me long enough know that uh, I'm not necessarily, I don't even call the own shots in my own house, okay? I'm somewhere like third or fourth down the line in my own house, and so uh, I'm glad that you guys get to be a part of that. And and then next Sunday, the last Sunday of February, we're going to have a baby dedication. We have eight, eight babies already lined up, and so uh, we've got more coming up. Is it more than eight, Dar- uh, Debbie? Just eight right now. And then we got several more uh, we, that'll be uh, ready for Mother's Day in May, uh, but we've we've not been able to do it for a little while, and so we're gonna we're gonna do some catching up at the end of this month. All right. So, over the last several weeks, we have been doing this study together, and I hope that it has been a blessing to you. And the question we have been asking, as we come now, I believe to our fifth or I believe it's our fifth lesson, the The question we have been asking is, why can we trust the Bible? There are so many other religious texts out there, okay? There's so many other uh, books that people would consider to be sacred. Why does the Bible stand above them all? And why is the Bible unique and different? The Bible is not just one of a list of, of books that people should go by. The Bible is the book. It is God's holy word. And so we've been asking this question, why can we trust the Bible? And when we began looking at this in our first session, we marveled together at the fact that revelation even exists. And I'm not talking about that last book of the Bible. What a remarkable act of grace and mercy it is in our lives. What a remarkable act of God's eternal love has shown toward us that he's even revealed himself to us at all. And we got to glory in that and look at that together. The fact that we can even say that there is even the concept of the Bible, that God would even reveal himself to us and show us who he is. We are undeserving of such a glorious gift. And yet as we gather here today, we know that's precisely what God has done for us, hasn't he? He's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We see him portrayed vividly for us in the pages of scripture. Our first session, we we marveled at the fact that revelation even exists. In our second session together, we looked at the authority of scripture. Uh, Actually, that was the second and third uh, sessions that we had together. Why does the Bible have authority over us? Yes, it's wonderful that we have this revelation But why must we submit to the authority of the Bible? And to that, we spent our second and third weeks together looking at the inspiration of Scripture. That is, the Bible carries authority because it is the very breath of God. These are His words. The Bible is divinely inspired. Other uh, works that you will read are are the work of man. It's the work of their years of effort and their years of observation in the world. And uh, if 36 years, and I know that's, that's young to a lot of folks, if 36 years has taught me anything, it seems like the older I get, the less I know, okay? And I feel like it's, maybe that's, I know you guys feel the same way about me too, right? But uh, this, is, this is all of their work, all these other books. It's the result of man. But when we say that the Bible carries authority, we say that it carries authority because it is the Word of God. It carries authority because it is inerrant. That was our third week together. The Bible is without error. If you go to any other book throughout history, you will find plenty of error. You will find contradictions within those books. Other religious texts, I could take you right now today into the Book of Mormon and we could go in and I could show you the plethora of errors, of ways that it contradicts itself. We could go, uh, we could go to the Watchtower magazine, we could go to the Watchtower materials, and I could show you where the teaching of the Jehovah's Witness contradict one another. But friends, I tell you today that the Bible carries authority because God has never changed and his word is without error. That's a good place to amen. That's a good place to amen. So we, why can we trust the Bible? Well, we looked at revelation existing. We looked at the authority of Scripture. Last week, we looked at the development of the canon. We kind of took a break from this view of, of why we can trust the Scripture. and We, we begin to look at really some specifics. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go to our podcast and to listen to that. It was a blessing to me. I hope that it was a blessing to you. This week, we're going to look at the clarity of Scripture The Clarity of Scripture. Just a reminder, this is a study uh, with you, my friends, here at First Baptist West Memphis based on a curriculum written by Stephen J. Nichols and distributed by Ligonier Ministries. I borrow uh, from those areas, and especially for this study, and I want to use, make sure I give proper uh, credit where credit is due. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I spent a long time getting there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Would you pray with me, please? Father, this is your word that we care so much for, your word that we are given an opportunity uniquely today to hold and to cling to, to meditate upon, and so often, Father, we As your people do not do that, we do not meditate upon your word day and night. We do not savor them. We do not think they are sweet as honey as honey from out of the comb. I pray that as we have this study together tonight, that your spirit would intervene with my weaknesses and you would speak to your people. Would you place confidence in their hearts in you through your word? And Father, I pray that as we have this study together, that you would be honored that you would be glorified, Father, that we'd be drawn closer to you and love your word and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we're looking at the clarity of Scripture. Now, what does that mean? What do I mean when I say the, the clarity of Scripture? This is also known as the perspicuity of Scripture. The perspicuity of Scripture. It's an incredibly important aspect of Scripture, and in all likelihood, if you're like me, Perhaps you've never heard that word perspicuity for or clarity. What does that mean? And just to get straight to the point, when I say, when we talk about the clarity of Scripture, simply put, it means that the Bible is understandable. So some would say the Bible is not understandable. Tonight I would say uh, we're looking at the clarity of Scripture. That just means the Bible is understandable. All right, so I can pray and say amen, and we can all uh, go about, because that is the the lesson for tonight. That's what we take home with us, that the Bible is understandable, that the scripture was written in a way, and that the God of the universe, who knows all things, has written his word in such a way that mankind, and specifically that his people, are able to understand it. Now, people may disagree with the claims of the Bible. They may disagree with the truths of the Bible. But it's not hard to understand when you come to the Old Testament and New Testament, especially when you're looking at the gospel. I don't want to say especially, the Bible is clear. But when they read the gospel, it is clear what the gospel says about mankind, what the Bible says about mankind about our sin, about our separation from him, about the only hope for our salvation being in Jesus Christ. The, the, the Bible is incredibly clear on these things. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means, all right, hold on to your hats here. That means that there are no mystic messages in the Bible. The year was probably 2002, And a well-meaning church member had dropped a set of videotapes by my dad's office. Well, they intrigued me. And so before my dad got to watch them, I'd taken them out, those videotapes, and I'd taken them home and I'd began to watch these videotapes. And these videotapes were a study done by some group and it was about the Omega Code. Have you ever heard of this? The Omega Code. And so they postulated that if you simply take the text, uh, the manuscripts of the Bible, and then you count all these certain letters, and then you begin to put all these letters together, that you will find these hidden codes where God will tell us what is supposed to happen in the future. And I remember watching this video, and they were telling us about 9-11. They were telling us about September the 11th. Now, it was after September the 11th. (laughs) But they were sitting here, see, if you go every other letter in, the, uh, if, in, in this text here, and then you put all of them together, and you divide by four, it'll tell you who you should vote for in 2024, right? Well, that's not true. There is not a hidden message revealed within Scripture. Scripture has been written for God's people, has been written to the world in a clear manner. There are no mystic hidden messages. Now when I say that it's clear, I mean there are no mystic hidden messages. There are no excuses. Uh, I am thankful to God to be a Southern Baptist. I really and truly am. When I looked at the Baptist faith and message, and I see what we believe as Baptists, and by the way, the Baptist faith and message, for anyone who's listening online, for anyone here who today doesn't completely understand, the Baptist faith and message is not a holy book for us. The, The Baptist faith and message is merely an attempt to systematize what we believe together as we fellowship together. And I'm thankful, I am thankful that we can uh, go to the Bible and see the clarity of, of, of Scripture and that as Southern Baptists we hold to certain truths. I'm glad, I'm glad to hold to those truths. I will always, I, I pray that God will always keep me near and, and, and keep me safe in those truths. But there's a great move, even amongst Southern Baptists today, to set doctrine to the side or to continually increase those issues that they consider to be secondary issues and tertiary issues, and and make the 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 group smaller or or make the group wider and wider of who can be involved in a certain fellowship. I'm thankful that we believe what we believe. But there is this, there's this thought going on in our culture that doctrine doesn't really matter, and that after all, who can really be sure? Right? Well, when I say that the scripture is clear, what I mean is we, we don't have excuses. God has commanded us uh, how things are to be, how things are to run, and there is no excuse for God's people uh, when we have those things wrong. God's word is clear. Uh, if I've had a nickel for every time I've told my kids, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, Right? <laughs> Was I not clear? Most of the time I wasn't, right? But God always is. God is very clear to us. And when I talk about the clarity of Scripture, when we study this clarity of Scripture, we say that not only does that mean there are no mystic, hidden messages in there, that God has revealed to us through his word what he wants us to know about him, what he wants us, uh, uh, how we might grow and how we might set our eyes upon him. I also mean there's no excuses for us For misunderstanding, thirdly, when I say that the Bible is clear, I do not mean that the Bible is simple. The Bible can be clear and complex. Now, suppose that in this room there were an expert mathematician. Any of you in here good at math? Oh, brother, some of you's got to be good at math. Some of you on the finance committee. All right, let's suppose in here I had an expert. Ma- I'm not gonna ask you a question. <laughs> do you think I'm gonna write out a X squared phone and then put you on the spot? I wouldn't do that. I took college algebra three times, so there's no way I would do that to you. I don't I don't have the smarts, right? But let's suppose, let's suppose that I, just for the sake of just being humorous, let's suppose that I were a mathematician and that I had a big chalkboard behind me. And I explained to you with precision the most complex formula, the most complex math problem that ever existed. And I could say, well, this is why uh, number two pencils uh, work. I don't know. Let's just say that I was able to write that out there. Now, you would all be watching, and let's suppose that I was completely clear and put everything right. I would look back out here once I turned around. Most of you would be gone, right? Some of you would be looking for the hidden cameras, right? But I could be very clear, and yet it'd still be very complex. There are things in the scripture that although they are clear, they are complex, right? Just because it's clear does not mean that it, can't be difficult. There are passages that we wrestle with, that we try to understand. There are all sorts of examples of that throughout Scripture, but try to understand the Trinity. Right? How many heresies have been formed because people have tried to compare the Trinity to something? How many heresies are formed because people take one truth that the Scripture says, and they take another truth that the Scripture says, and they try to pit them against one another? Or they try to use fallen logic to make these two marry together, look at God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. How do you how do you put those two things together? Well, our logic is fallen, and so I'm not going to rely upon my fallen logic. I can understand that Scripture is both clear and complex. So when you come to those passages that are complex, don't think what's wrong with me. We're finite creatures looking at the infinite. Holy one through his word. There are moments, there are times in scripture where scripture is complex. Peter acknowledges this. We looked at this passage last week, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse 15, Peter himself, an apostle, the leader of the, of the disciples acknowledges difficulties within the scripture he says in second peter chapter 3 and verse 15 just as our beloved brother paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters there are some things in them that are hard to understand well that makes me feel better if peter read the scripture and there were some things that were hard to understand Well, that sure makes me feel a lot better because, you know, and this is no excuse, but if Peter had difficulty with those things, it just makes me feel a whole lot more comfortable. There's some things that are just hard to understand. The scripture is both clear and complex, but it's here where we kind of face a problem. If scripture is so clear, then why are there so many different interpretations up and down this block tonight on Missouri Street. There are uh, churches that proclaim the gospel. There are some that don't. Okay? But there are churches that proclaim the gospel that certainly have different perspectives on things, that have interpreted Scripture differently than we have. Why are there so many good faith believers who see Scripture differently than we do or different passages? If Scripture is so clear then why is that the case? I mean, one of my one of my greatest friends in West Memphis is a pastor over at the Presbyterian Church. David Dobbs, a really good friend of mine, we'll talk uh, often. And uh, w- w- when we were looking for the next gen pastor, I went to a meeting with pastors, and I said, David, if you just stop baptizing babies, I'd hire you over at the Baptist Church, man. We're we're so close. We're we're good friends, but there are different areas that we disagree upon. There are areas of eschatology that we disagree upon. Obviously, within the Presbyterian Church, there's things about baptism that we disagree upon. I've got got Pentecostal friends that I love, and I have no doubt that they have been saved by Jesus, uh, that they are born again, uh, but we just have different views on these gifts and the gifts that God has. Well, I had a really, really close friend. I hope he's watching online, and we can reconnect. Really close Pentecostal friend, and he he loved the Lord. I had no doubt he's born again. He had a testimony of being born again, relying on Jesus and Jesus alone, not on his works. And and. Uh, And he was telling me one time he'd been praying that he could walk on water and so he filled his bathtub filled with water. And I said, what happened, Greg? He said, I went straight down to the bottom. I said, yeah, you did. (laughs) How can we disagree on these things? If scripture is so clear, wouldn't you think we'd all be on the same page? But remember, we are fallen creatures, aren't we? Even with the Holy Spirit filling us, We're still fragile, fallen creatures. God's word is God's word. It is without error. It is infallible. God's word uh, to us uh, is is something that we can cling to without having any failure. Our interpretation of those things are subject to being wrong. Now, there are areas that I expect that I will find out that I am wrong on. There are some that I feel like I'm... There's some that I think I might be wrong on. I mean, I've listened to Dr. Milliken talk about eschatology a hundred times, but I only hear someone else say and think, "Well, that sounds pretty good too." I mean, I know where I stand, but it's easy on those on those matters to say, "Hey, I wonder, I wonder if that's the case," because inevitably we are going to be wrong. We're gonna we're not gonna see things right. We're fallen creatures. Okay, we have presuppositions. We have We have bias in our hearts. We've grown up a certain way, we see the world a certain way, and a lot of times we project that upon Scripture. That's a dangerous thing, by the way. We should be very careful to take away all of our biases when we come to Scripture. It's impossible. Uh, I never would have, I'll never be a doctor, Doc. You know, it's never going to be the case. I'm not a doctor kind of guy. But I always wanted to, I, I told a friend, I've had a book brewing on, there's just, there's, there's no such thing as being unbiased. Everybody, we're unable to come to the table without bias. It's going to happen. Our culture, our growing up. It's inevitable for us. And so the problem is that even though Scripture is clear, fallen creatures with presuppositions, biases, different experiences, all of that clouds our understanding. And we can take great joy that if we have those basics right, if we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day when we are in his presence, we're finally going to understand it all. Right? Remember that, remember that song farther along? One day we're going to understand it. One day that we're going to understand it. And, and uh, we don't understand all the things right now. So we're looking at the clarity of Scripture. So right now I want us to begin to look at the word illumination. Illumination. We have this problem. We bring these presuppositions, we bring these biases, we bring these experiences in that cloud our view of the clarity of Scripture. So, what is the answer? How do we, as God's people, put aside all of these things and do our best to intently look upon the Lord through his word? The answer to that is illumination. Illumination. Uh, I've heard people, as a matter of fact, I did not, I never thought anything about people saying this until Dr. Milliken brought it up to me. When people say, you know, the, the Lord revealed to me and uh, you know what they mean. For the most part, when good Baptists say that, they felt impressed upon their heart that God had led them in that direction. Okay? But that's the wrong word to use. The word that we use as God's people is that God's truth has been illuminated in my heart, God's revelation is already there. This book is His word to us, divinely. Uh, uh, written. It is infallible. It is er inerrant. God does not speak uh, 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 audibly to his people. Uh, He speaks to us through his word. And so what we long for is illumination. That is the Holy Spirit bringing to life the truth of the scripture into our heart. And I want to make sure I said that singular, bringing alive the truth, not truths, the truth of scripture in our heart. Enter the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14. Remember, Jesus is fixing to go to the cross. We' just spent two years in there, so you can remember in your mind, John chapter 14. Jesus is fixing to go to the cross. He's told his disciples he's about to leave, and what? how do they feel? They're anxious. They're disheartened. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, "What? Let not your hearts be troubled." You believe in God, believe also in me. He continues in chapters 14 through 16, Jesus tells us of his coming Holy Spirit and how his Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth of his word in our lives. In John chapter 14, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that is the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John chapter 14 and verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will, will illuminate the truth of the teachings of Christ, will illuminate the truth of God's word in our lives. He continues in John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, this is Jesus, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He does it again in John chapter 16 in verses 7 through 11. It's incredibly important for Jesus to let his disciples know before he goes that although he is leaving, he is not leaving them as orphans. He's leaving his helper with them, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the truth of his word in our lives. Several years ago, I went to a wedding in a Church of Christ church. Uh, I went to a, a wedding. at a small Church of Christ church in, here in northeastern Arkansas. And I was very curious at the hymnal that was in front of me. I pulled out a, a hymnal. I don't remember what color it was. And I began to flip through the pages to see what kind of songs the Church of Christ sing. I was wondering if there were even musical notes in there. I didn't know, you know. And so I began to look in there. And there was a song about the Holy Spirit. Only every time the Holy Spirit was mentioned, a marker was through the Holy Spirit. Now, I began to wonder why. I, I asked around that church and they never sang that song. They don't know why. But it began to occur to me that because of the movement in charismatic circles, a lot of people are concerned or Baptist or other people might be concerned. Well, we don't want to manipulate or or say that something is the Holy Spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. And so we've stepped back. We've kind of put the Holy Spirit off to the side. But I want you to understand that unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit, which if you're a believer, you are, unless you are coming to God's Word, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of his Word into your life, your Bible study every day, it don't mean nothing, Jack. It don't mean anything. You and I, though the scripture is clear, we need the Holy Spirit to bring to life those truths in our our own lives. Now, this is how wonderful it is. So God promises his helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the scripture says that as the scripture was written, the Holy Spirit carried those authors along, right? So God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helped pin the book that we read today, and now as we come to read God's word, who'd, whose help do we call upon other than the author himself? Father in heaven, you may pray before you have your study, Bible study every morning, every evening. I know your word is clear, but I don't want to misunderstand a thing. So I ask you now to fulfill that promise that you made to your people. Would your Holy Spirit now illuminate the truth of your word in my life? Now, here's what he's not going to do. He's not going to reveal something to you, right? He's not going to speak a new word. He's not going to say something opposed to something he's already said. But he's going to cause that word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword to bubble to life up in you. It doesn't matter if you know all the books of the Bible in order, if you've memorized the word, but you, the Holy Spirit has not illuminated the truth of his word in your heart, it, it, it means nothing. We need the illumination of God's word through the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Now, when I say that to you, I'm not saying that that's some type of second or third blessing that, the God, that God gives us. I'm saying that was the intention that God had for us in reading and holding to his word all along. That we, as we come to his word, call upon him for his help to understand and to rightly understand his word. Scripture is clear. If you have your Bibles or if you're taking down notes, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verses 6-13. We won't read it for purpose of time tonight. But write down 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verses 6-13 and in that passage, Paul himself says that the Holy Spirit is, uh, that we, we need the, the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. Lastly, as we look at interpretation, I want to give you a few practical keys as you start your quiet time every day. And by the way, if you're here today, I hope that each and every day, you set aside time to spend time with the Lord. And I hope that for you, it's not just something that you just check off of your list. It's not just a routine in the morning, but that you long to spend time with Him. I want to give you some keys to successfully interpreting and to rightfully, rightly interpreting God's Word. Number one, number one, read your Bible reverently. Read your Bible reverently. You know It's such a blessing to have God's Word so readily available, uh, to have it on your phones, smart devices to be able to print it off, put it on a t-shirt. But when you come to God's word, understand that this is God's word. Approach it reverently. As if you're coming to the very presence of God himself, the one who is holy and righteous, the only one who is holy and righteous, come into his presence with reverence. And with fear, Lord, I need you today. I want to understand your word today. I want to live my life in a way that is pleasing for you today. And I'm not rushing through this, right? I'm not doing this just in my downtime. I've set aside this time, and right now it's just me and you, and I'm approaching this time with reverence. A lot of irreverent scholars today. A lot of people who know things about the Bible. But as they come to spend time alone with God, they're not approaching him reverently. And that reflects in our interpretation of the scripture, come before him reverently. By the way, maybe you're saying, man, Josh, that's harsh. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of coming to Word God's word casually. We ought to repent of that and be people who come before his word daily, reverently. Number two, read your Bible prayerfully. Read your Bible prayerfully. Your quiet time each and every day, it's not something to rush through or just to read. God's word is meant to be meditated upon. It's meant to be reflected upon. Read God's word prayerfully. You come to a passage that you don't understand, It's great to go to other resources, but have you stopped and prayed and asked God for wisdom? Have you prayed over that time? Who are you really spending time with after all? As you come to God's word, read your word prayerfully. Thirdly, read your Bible humbly. Read your Bible humbly. Be humble when you come to God's word. It's a funny thing. Those people who refuse to humble themselves always wind up humbled, right? It's better that you and I do it than we let God do it. Humble ourselves. Come to God's word. Lord, I understand that I'm flesh, but I'm so thankful that I can come before you boldly as according to your scripture. I can come before your throne. Go before the Lord humbly. Four, read your Bible carefully. Read your Bible carefully. Uh, when you go to read your Bible, uh, here's, here's what's not a good method for you in your quiet time. Flipping the pages, opening up, pointing down, and reading. It's a dangerous thing to do. Okay? Uh, even just reading the Psalms like that, it's a dangerous thing to do. When you read your Bible, read it carefully. That is, you need to ask some basic questions. You need to ask some biographical questions. Who is the author of this book? Now, the New Testament makes that pretty easy, right? Who wrote Matthew? Okay, well, we'll say Matthew. Who wrote Mark? You know, all of these seem fairly easy. In, in the New Testament, a lot of times you see those authors. In the Old Testament, is, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, too. I wonder who wrote the book of Jonah, right? We all understand those things, but it's incredibly important. We're reading this God's Word. We're reading these books to understand who is the human author that God used What was the historical context, right? What is the cultural context? Let me give you a good example. The Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss, all right? Now, I want to be scriptural. I do. And I love all of you. And if God just commands it, I'll say, okay, I'll do whatever you want to do. I don't really want to kiss you. You don't want to be kissed by me, all right? (laughs) I, I I don't want to do that. It's a cultural greeting. And Paul's saying, let that greeting be holy. Let everything you do be holy. So I would say, greet one another with a holy handshake. Greet one another with a holy hug. I'm not changing God's word, but I'm saying when you read, you need to understand the things that are going on culturally around it, what makes... Uh, This book, this book, know the genre. If I look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a book of things that are generally true. All right? So if, if the book of Proverbs says, raise your child up in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That is not saying that your child, if you raise them in church, that they will be in church all of their lives. A, 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 a proverb could just as well say uh, if, if, if you're, well, a good, a good proverb would be that if you're obedient to your parents, you're going to live this long life. It's a command with a promise, right? But if I go out and run around in Missouri Street, that promise is going to be negated because of my foolishness, right? So you have to understand the genre of scripture. Uh, so Genesis is history. Genesis is not poetry, for those who would tell you that the first books of the Bible, that the first chapters of the book of Genesis are poetry, uh, it's ridiculous. It's 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 not comprehensible to me how uh, intelligent men could ever say that early Jewish people ever saw Genesis as anything other than primarily historical. But. Uh, Anyways, I could go on and on about Genesis 1 through 11, but I'm not going to do that. It's important for you to read your Bible carefully. Know the author. Know what's going on. Ask those questions. What's going on? What's the context of this book? What's the context of this situation in this book? What's the context of this passage that I'm reading? And then finally, number five, read your Bible obediently. That is, I'm reading with a mind to obey God's word. Right, I'm not reading just for knowledge. I'm reading because, God, your words hold life. And if I hold on to them and hold on to your word, I know that I'm holding on to that life that you promised me. Well, friends, the scripture is clear. It's clear. It's complex, but it's clear. And I'm thankful that because of the clarity of Scripture, we can understand the gospel. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can be saved and understand God's Word more thoroughly. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.